Well then, my friend, I believe some podcasting is in order. Let's do it. Reading Glasses. That's the name of the show. And that's the name of the game. <laughs> I'm Travis. I'm one of your hosts. Welcome back. And I'm Jamie, the other host, who isn't quite as good as coming up with taglines as Travis is. I love that we have a different tagline every single episode. Yeah, I think it's better that way. Keeps it fresh, keeps it exciting. We don't want to get boring with the same old tagline like, Welcome back to the Reading Glasses Book Club podcast where we uh, uh, talk about books. See, I'm already bored. Me too. Let's not be bored. Let's be excited because we just finished a very exciting book, Travis. We just finished A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor by Hank Green, our second book of the Reading Glasses podcast, and also the second book of the Hank Green Carl Saga Adventure Party. I don't know if he has a name for the two books that he wrote, but we'll call it the Carl Saga Adventure Party. And we just finished it, and we're very excited to chat about it here today, along with all the lovely listeners of the Reading Glasses Book Club podcast. But before we get to this book, Travis, we have a very special drink here today. You want to tell us all about it? Sure. Today, in honor of our fearless leader, Hank Green, we are drinking some green matcha cocktails. Mmm. Ooh, delicious. What do you think, Jamie? I think it is quite tasty. Very refreshing. It's refreshing. It's nice. It's light. It's uh, delicious. So cheers to Hank Green for this delicious Hank Green-inspired cocktail. Travis, how did you make this little cocktail here? Uh, well, if you'd like a full detailed recipe, you can check the show notes. Um, but as a quick you know, aside as you can start to maybe get your mouth watered up for one of these. As <laughs> oh, yeah. As you're heading home tonight. You <laughs> That's know? the new tagline. <laughs> get your mouth watered up for another episode of. Uh, we've got some matcha, of course, honey, lemon juice, and some cucumber mint vodka. Mm. It's mostly vodka in here. Mostly. <laughs> <laughs> but with some nice, delicious green matcha to celebrate the author. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, why, are you all right? <laughs> no, I, I just had a stroke. Are you having a stroke? Uh, some lovely green matcha to celebrate Hank Green. Yeah, it's very earthy, very refreshing. Do you think the ending of this book was refreshing, Jamie? What a segue. I'm good at that. Wow, you should be a professional. <laughs> Should we give the listeners a quick recap before we, you know, wax poetic about the ending of the book? Yes, let's do a quick little recap about how this book ended up. And then we'll be discussing the whole book in this episode, our thoughts on probably the whole series as well. We'll just chat about all of our final thoughts on these lovely books. Yeah, really quick, quick, just to give us a a recap kind of on the ending. Um, We see that April and Maya get PP on record stating that Altus is immoral alien technology that uses slave labor, uh, and they want Andy to post this information to the thread, but Andy finds out that the thread is actually Carl's brother. Uh-oh. Uh, luckily, they don't necessarily really need the thread. April is great at making videos. Um, she makes a video basically discussing why Altus is corrupt, and she asks for donations from each and every person to hopefully end up you know, buying out Altus and bringing to its demise. Um, luckily, this gang also has Miranda as a part of, of the team. Miranda is super influential in kind of hijacking Altus's network in order to bring out this new kind of update so that when anyone tries to log in to Altus, they experience the body dislocation. Yikes. So all of this is really, you know, kind of influential and in ultimately bringing down Altus. But unfortunately, it also brings down Carl as well. Carl is dead at the end of the book, um, which, you know, we can we can talk about in the, in the next little bit. I'll kind of end, um, you know, the, the recap with this one last little scene. I know it was a small part, but in my mind, it kind of puts a little picture of of the ending of the of the saga. Um, and, you know, pretty nicely. Um, we see that Carl gives April, you know, one last gift, so to speak. It's a final book of good times, which basically tells her, go to Costco because you're having a party tonight. <laughs> and everyone who got yeah. a book of good times, basically a lot of the important and influential characters in this series come to April and Maya's house, you know, for, for a little bit of a get together. And that to me was a really nice scene in my mind that kind of put a little bow on things to to kind of tie up this series in a 
in a little bit of a happy ending sort of way. Yeah, I thought that was a really nice way to end the book, to have everybody who is part of this endeavor come together at the end. And so much of the story was about how all these characters need to work together and how humanity as a whole needs to work together mm -hmm. and how that's one of the greatest aspects of humanity is our collaborative nature and how we work best when we come together. And so to end the book with everybody who even had small parts to play in this story coming to celebrate with April and Maya was such a nice way to end the book mm -hmm. and a happy ending <laughs> for all of our friends except Carl. Sorry, Carl. Or some of our matcha cocktail out for, for Carl. R.I.P. But I think this is how he would want it to end. I don't think Carl had any desire to continue living. Do you think Carl was upset that he had to die in order for this outcome to be achieved? I think Carl was mostly upset, right, that at the pain that they had caused along the way, right? I think they were upset that they didn't realize kind of the full individual impact, you know, on human emotions that, that they were having. And, you know, they kind of bring that up, right? How they, they were racked with guilt about, you know, what was going to have to take place. I think that was more of the, the, the tough part that Carl had to go through as opposed to just dying. Yeah. I think Carl was absolutely willing to, and I think he, he kind of knew that his demise was most, was most likely going to happen, so an honorable death. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hopefully not in vain, because his brother is still out there lying dormant. That was a little ominous. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little unclear to me as well until it was explicitly laid out that Carl's brother is still around. It wasn't clear to me for, you know, a few pages. I was like, is is all of this over? Is Carl's brother dead? Like, is it is he finally vanquished? And then, you know, we, we, we like you had mentioned, we see that he's dormant. He's still watching, um, but he's not, um, I guess, active at the moment because we've reached this threshold where humanity now has a greater percentage chance of being successful and being sustainable long term um, compared to um, before yeah. he, he went dormant. Yeah, but there's always going to be this chance that humankind starts to make a few of the wrong decisions and Carl's Jr. shows up again. <laughs> or I'm sorry, Hardy's wakes back up and takes over, which I think is an interesting little message that Hank Green left for us, that it's not just a, a one-time victory that was achieved here, but it's something that has to endure. Mm -hmm. And this endeavor of humanity is something that we all need to work towards constantly as the human race and also appreciate as we go along this beautifully foolish endeavor of humanity, as Hank Green put it. So I think it was a nice and fitting ending for the story that it had a happy ending with the caveat of you can't change the like you can't give up now. You gotta you gotta make sure that you're always on top of your stuff and never let I guess what's the what's the best way to describe what Hardy's was trying to do? You know? Like what what counts as success? For humanity. What did you get out of this book as being a success for humanity to give them that greater than 50% chance of survival? Yeah, great question. Uh, I think a lot of it is is left loosely open to interpretation um, in terms of my personal uh, take on that. While I think on that, <laughs> what do you think? Well, I think one of oh, the- We're going to have to edit this out. <laughs> Um, I think one of the main things that Hank Green was trying to get across, of course, was the uh, danger of concentrated power, mm -hmm. which was the conversation that April and Andy had at the very end. One of their last text conversations that we see in this book was Andy's kind of upset that April made this decision for all of humanity to not allow power to get concentrated at the top of Altus. Right. Which on one hand was like a single individual making a decision for every single person on earth. Right. But it was a decision that prevented a few individuals from having nearly unlimited power over every single person. And so I think that is that's got to be one of the main aspects of this that Hank Green was trying to get across of humanity needs to be more equal across everybody. And you can't let those highly concentrated bits of power get a 
get a foothold in humanity. And because as soon as they get a little bit of power, they get more power and then they get right. more power and it just goes out of control. Right. Unless I, you're able to calm it down and, and catch it before it's too late. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to piggyback a little bit uh, off of what you said, because I think it's not just who gains power, but who we give our power to, right? You know, we voluntary, voluntarily sign up for, you know, and agree to terms of service all the time for all kinds of like powerful um, pieces of technology, right? That's a great and, point. And so, you know, that type of um, thing to be aware of, right, is, is, is super important. Um, I think, you know, another point to, again, kind of piggyback off of that, right, is with the development of AI and just technology as a whole to kind of be able to predict or simulate right out our responses to certain things um, is something to be to be cautious about as well, right? Because if we're voluntarily giving our information away to those that are in power, right, that can lead to um, some potentially dangerous scenarios down the road. So uh, I wonder if our gang, right, was just able to kind of swap the positions of power enough such that, like you said, the power wasn't... Um, so far concentrated in in bad hands um, that now we've leveled the playing field a little bit, so to speak, and humanity can continue to operate in a manner somewhat similar to how it's been doing before. Yeah, <laughs> and how it's doing before is not necessarily good. Right, right. Uh, as we see in this book, there's, you know, aspects of this book that are obviously science fiction, but also mm -hmm. aspects of it that are reality with social media is a big mm -hmm. influence on this book. And like we see, it was in the previous section maybe where April is using her magical internet powers to uh, like put these groups of people together, right, put right. these groups of like-minded people together and kind of almost force them to converse with people who agree with them intensely. And through that- She's creating the echo chambers. Yeah, so she's like, she's directly influencing the way people think, which- is exactly what happened to her to some extent when Carl came in there and changed her brain, took away her humanity, affecting her mind and its ability to think and feel the way she would if she was uncarlified. And now she is doing similar things through social media to other people. So you're saying at the end of reading this book, you're just going to go out into the woods with a tinfoil hat and not let anyone influence your thinking, nor will you influence anyone else. Is that your takeaway? Absolutely not. I'm trying to change everybody's minds through this podcast right here. That's right. <laughs> I just think it's, it's very interesting how throughout this book, the journey that April has gone on has seen her become what she has wanted to fight against and become what she fears and become what the defenders had accused her of being. And so she goes into all these uh, not bad places necessarily, but she becomes all these things that she didn't want to be in order to, I guess, move towards a future where she no longer has to be those things. I don't know if that doesn't really make sense the way I said that, but you know what I'm saying? Like the, the character arc of April, she starts out as just this normal person and then she becomes this highly influential person with, she had more power than almost anybody else in the world at the peak of these stories which is exactly what she was fighting against. She was basically like the Pope for the Carls. She was speaking yeah. on behalf yeah. of the Carls. She was. To the world. The Carl Pope. She had amassed a, like this enormous following, had all this power. And then, keep going on, because I'm still trying to grasp what you're saying. Um, but basically she was just, she had to become what she was fighting against. So she... Mm, in terms of like the power? Yeah, in terms of the power, in terms of um, becoming something that is not human. Like, mm. I guess one of the main story arcs for the, the characters and for all of April's friends was that they were trying to allow people to continue experiencing humanity as humanity was intended to be. And in order to do that, she had to become something that was not human. Mm. And in order to achieve another goal of preventing this highly concentrated hierarchy of power, she had to become the most powerful person in the world. Right. So I thought that was a very interesting, um, April was just a fantastically interesting character throughout this whole story and the way that she had to become what she was fighting against in order to come out victorious. 
Do you think in our modern society, though, right, like because, you know, with the entire population of America, right, we have elected a few hundred people to basically kind of run the country, right? Um, and, you know, I guess we don't even have to think about politics, right? Like in terms of the number of people in power in this country, it's a very small number of people, right, relative to the population population of the country. If you wanted to think larger scale with the world, right? There's a very small number of people, right, that are running the world compared to the entire population of the world. So do you think it's possible for someone to have like that big of an impact without amassing power, right, in in these types of avenues? What do you mean by that big of an impact? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to have this kind of like paradigm shift in thought of, you know, for instance, if aliens or, um, you know, non-humans, right, you know, come to Earth and, and shift the way that society is thinking about that. And, you know, I think that we as a society or just we as humans in general, right, we like gravitate towards like one individual person, right? Oftentimes, even if it's just a figurehead for a movement, right, we have, we like having a human to the, to a face to the cause right and so do you think that's just always kind of the way that it is if we, if you if you're anticipating or wanting ch to enact change or um, a change in thought like do you need do you need a person who becomes this figurehead or this idea and they become non-human in that way to get anything done yeah maybe that's a that's a very interesting thought um i don't know i mean it certainly does seem to be something that humans like to do is to give power to others to others specifically who they agree with and want to accomplish the same goal as that person slash symbol slash idea is it necessary i don't know that's that's a very interesting thought to have. Are there ways mm -hmm. to enact change without without a like a an individual a, like an or a individual small group face behind it? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Very interesting. Quite thought provoking there, Travis. Do you have any other questions on that little notepad of yours? I was going to get your thoughts a little bit on uh, what do you think about this series being transformed into a movie i was gonna ask Ooh. you a little bit about that because i just felt like in this particular book there were so many scenes that as i was reading it i was like this is gonna be a great movie yeah and i felt like particularly in this section right there were a few scenes as well that were just really sticking out to me so i wanted to know if you had any thoughts about that yeah i thought it would there were some really great scenes that would be cool and action-packed like what? what? Well, the zombie scene. Right. Where Miranda gets oh, yeah. taken out of VR and then all the other people who were in VR zombieify and they come chasing through or... Um, Very high intensity, high action. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there are also... You could have a cool like uh, Ocean's Eleven style heist movie type mm -hmm. situation going on when right, for sure. April and Mar April and Maya go to save Miranda and Valverde. I think that'd be cool. Absolutely, there was so much action. Yeah, in these segments, I would love to see someone's interpretation of how all that could play out. I have one scene in particular where I thought you could take some um, um, artistic liberties and oh. make it make it a really good spot on scene. So I'm thinking about uh, whenever Peanut went through the um, the body dislocation again to kind of like make sure their their update was kind yeah. of working in the way that they wanted to. And they talk about how he puked and like a little bit of puke got on got on PP <laughs> himself. What I would do if I was making the movie is I would just have peanut vomit all over him. <laughs> like a really gross <laughs> scene. Just, just have it spray all over Comical amount him. of vomit. An enormous amount. Yeah, that's what I would do. <laughs> it was a little bit of kind of like, I don't want to say comic relief. It was comic relief to me because I was just kind of picturing it in my head. Yeah, that was very funny. And it was fun that they... Uh, brought back the body dislocation, right? which we had been asking about if this was going to be something important moving and forward. And it's the key to everything. Yeah. I thought that was a very clever way to uh, get rid of this Altus situation. Mm -hmm. So like in part, getting rid of everybody's ability to get into it and then also getting rid of Altus entirely. Because if they had just done the body dislocation thing, then maybe someone else could come in, they could patch the system and then Altus would take off again. So I thought that was, I was very happy to see that the body dislocation stuff came back. That was a great way to end it. Yeah, yeah, I agree too. It's it's nice 
And I think we've seen that throughout this series a lot, where there's always little nuggets of things that you don't necessarily know if they're going to be important or not. But many times, right, there's little nuggets of of pieces of things introduced in the story. You could just glance over it, but it comes back to be a really critical aspect of, of how the story keeps unfolding. And I think we've just seen lots of really good writing, lots of good foreshadowing, uh, lots of good questions about society, questions about our individual relationships asked throughout this series. Yeah. And this- as a whole, it's been it's been enjoyable. And absolutely enjoyable. Remarkably enjoyable. Absolutely remarkable. Absolutely if, remarkably if enjoyable. Um, is there anything in particular that these books have changed your mind about or mm. caused you to think about something in a new way? I guess just towards the end of this book, this goes back to our conversation a few minutes ago, but just thinking broadly about who we are giving our power to, um, especially, you know, in the idea or through the lens of kind of like technology, right? Um, Signing up for social media, signing up for whatever apps you have, right? Posting your information, giving your information away freely, right? Um, Where is that information going? Who's using it? Oftentimes, it's companies who just care about making money off of us, right? And so can we think a little bit more critically about that um, power that we are giving away? And can we be a little bit more conscious of that? That was kind of one of the big takeaways, at least just specifically at the end of this book, um, with thinking about Alta specifically. Um, that's something, I don't know if it changed how I thought, but maybe it makes me a little bit more concerned, a little bit more wary, mm-hmm. and a little bit more... Um, um, conscientious. Called, yeah, conscientious. Yeah, or at least making you think about it more. Absolutely. Like, obviously, we don't have anything technologically yet that's as intense as the Alta space is. Right. But we have things to a lesser scale Absolutely. that we are still willing to dive into. And, and not necessarily have things that fully take over our lives the same way they were taking over people's lives who were living in Alta space. But, I mean, you'll sign up for an Instagram account or a TikTok account and then just scroll through for an hour a day. Ignore the real world while doom just... Doom scrolling. Yeah, just doom scrolling. Yeah. Or just enjoyable scrolling. <laughs> and uh, you're just... On one end of that, you're just ignoring life. You're missing out on what it means to be human. Ain't that right, Hank? And on the other end, you're also, you're just allowing Instagram, Mark Zuckerberg, or whoever the Mark Zuckerberg of TikTok is, to uh, have some level of control over your life Mm -hmm. without really a second thought. Yeah, and you know, like social media can be great too. You just want to be conscientious, right, of your time, of your information, of what's being done with your time, what's being done with your information um, to help you, you know, kind of make better choices. Because like you mentioned, technology is just going to always keep advancing. We just want to make sure that our understanding of it and its effects on us we also want it is advancing as well, right? We want to make sure that, you know, our ethics and morals are advancing as well, along with or even faster than, right, our technology um, to be able to prevent some of these dystopian scenarios that are popping up. You yeah, because once you have the opportunity, like if, if it's possible to have the power to influence millions of people, all of a sudden you're moral and ethical responsibility is right. multiplied by millions right compared to if we had none of this social media right and the most influence you could have is being the mayor of a town or something mm-hmm. it it changes all of the the yeah. questions around ethics and, and the, morality and there's that concentration of power too like you've been talking about um which you're putting the these questions and decisions of morality in 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 less and less number of people, right? Which which can be dangerous. So yeah, what are you left? You know, at the end of this book, what are you left still thinking about? What has it changed? Kind of your perspective on? Basically, just asking you the same question. How dare you ask my question to myself? You know, I don't have answers to these things. <laughs> That's why I ask you. One thing that I was uh, interested about at the end of this book was kind of thinking about from the start of the story, before an absolutely remarkable thing, before the Carls showed themselves to the world, and at the end, after Carl has passed away and Hardy's has gone back to hibernation, is humanity in a better place now? Mm. 
than if Carl had never begun affecting our future at all. And I'm not sure. I don't know if we'll ever know. Until we get taken over by Artie's. Yeah, (laughs) until this happens in real life. I like to think, because this book did have a positive ending, you know, it was Mm -hmm. a nice happy ending with a little bit of ominousness sprinkled in there, but it was overall a happy ending. Which is what you want. Yeah, because the world's not that good. If it was a totally good ending, you'd be like, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. That's the most unbelievable thing ever. Um, But I do think that humanity in this book is in a little bit of a better place now, at least based on a lot of the stuff that you were just saying, that being aware of the situation, being now uh, conscious of the fact that they are able to collaborate at the scale of billions of people, the way that people came together at the end of the first book to solve the final riddle and Mm -hmm. touch the gold to Carl, the way that people came together at the end of this book to raise the $20 billion to get rid of Altus. People have now seen that it is possible for humanity to work together towards the the well-being of everyone against high concentrations of power and against overwhelming odds. Yeah, that was like a super hopeful, you know, kind of picture to paint. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's probably the the most optimistic outlook for humanity in these stories. Honestly, Unless you can think of something. No, honestly, I, I hadn't necessarily considered that to the extent that you just articulated it, but I really like that a lot. You know, sometimes I think what can bring a group of people together, it's not necessarily just like, or it's not always just as easy as having like a shared goal or positive interest. Sometimes it's like, a hate or a despise of one thing altogether. And the fact that we saw humanity come together in, you know, opposition to Altus, I I think that just, you know, to some extent, I think that leaves humanity in a great spot. We've seen the power of, hey, we all don't like this thing. We're going to bring it down. Yeah. And to see that played out, I do think that leaves humanity is in a better spot to have gone through this hardship, but come out on the other side, knowing the power of your fellow humans and the power of collaboration. And, yeah, you know, and I think even more powerful than that is they didn't come together to fight something that they didn't like. They came together despite the fact that they really liked Altus. That. That's an even better like, point. Anyone yeah. who was in Alta Space was in love with Alta Space, and yet they were they still, still able to come together the... to the idea of not allowing Altus to have all this power. Right. Yeah. I I think we should have an optimistic view for humanity, at That's least good. in these books. We'll have to, we haven't quite been tested like that yet in reality, yeah. but I can't wait for the day. <laughs> <laughs> You can't wait for the day for Altus Premium to come up. You're going to be in line waiting outside of Best Buy. I already bought every type of VR headset you can find just to see which one works the best. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Then we can start having podcasts in Altus space. That would be lovely. How fun would that be? (laughs) Hopefully we don't have body dislocation. Hopefully not. I'm thinking a little bit more about this book being made into a movie. Do you have any ideas for actors to play any particular characters? Ooh, that's a good question. I I wish I did, but I'm terrible with actors. Um, I think we were talking about this a little bit previously without microphones in front of us. Can you believe it? We sometimes have conversations <laughs> not on the podcast. And I think for April, I think Aubrey Plaza Ooh. would be great. I think that's pretty good. I think she's got a little bit of like that cynicalness to her. Yeah. Um, and also, I guess that's it. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, th- I like that. I think I think I could see it. I like that. And then I'm, it's tough because these characters are like 23 years old. Right. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know many. any actors that are 23 yeah. years old. Maybe by the time this is going, maybe some of the like Stranger Things actors will be Ooh. at the prime age to- that could be good, you know, to step in. Yeah, I think uh, realistically, if this move, if these books were to be made into movies, it would be the Stranger Things cast. <laughs> mm-hmm. They would definitely <laughs> almost fit definitely, the vibe yeah, of you know this kind of sci-fi story. Yeah, I think they'd be really good at it. I've got two ideas. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hit me up. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, for the role of April's father, Travis. Me, <laughs> yes, I'm thinking for the role of the scientist who administers. The first VR, you know, uh, training at Altus. You mean Dr. Claire? You you? mean Dr. Claire? Yeah. (laughs) I think those are two at least obvious. Those are gimmies. Right. Those are so easy. 
that have to be made. Hank, give us a call as soon as this movie starts getting We're made. We're ready. We will be Sign there. Sign me up. We will be there. We're not good actors, but those are small parts. You can even pay me in Altacoin. You can pay me in American dollars. Or but... in Arby's <laughs> sandwiches. <Yeah. laughs> I hope Hank plays Carl. That would be great. That would be great. Oh, he's got such a... Uh, it, like what's the word for it i'm trying to describe hank's voice but he has such like a a happy uh-huh. a jovial way of speaking yeah i think that would be really fun to have carl with that voice describing all of these existential <laughs> situations that they find themselves in so would you want hank's voice to be playing on the smartwatch? like that's around the monkey's neck or like the way that carl sounds in like the dream or the way that carl sounds when he's speaking through the what, monkey yeah like what what's your I or think, just in all scenarios i think hank should do all of it yeah i love he it. should have different voices so when he speaks as the monkey he right. just like screeches yeah we could like give him some effects but it's always you can always tell it's his voice yeah. that's a good idea i think that would be great hank we got this whole thing figured out we're yeah, gonna we're, cast your whole movie for you yeah we're we're ready Put us to work. Yeah. We, we've mapped it out. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I have a question for you about Hank's writing style. As mm. we discussed after the first book, I want to discuss with you again his choice to uh, write these books in the first person narrative format with April being the narrator of the entire first book. Mm-hmm. Except for the last chapter, and then splitting up the narrator responsibilities for this book between April, Maya, Miranda, Andy, Carl. Um, do you think that the story benefited from having this first person's first person perspective? I think so, and I think I really enjoyed having the additional perspectives from multiple you know kind of storytellers because you know as we've talked about before april is a biased um perspective and you only see that one perspective at least in the first book even if it's a complete and in-depth detailed perspective you only see that one viewpoint uh it's it was nice for me to have the additional perspectives particularly i loved having carl's perspective yeah that gave such a unique insight into just what and who Carl is, um, as well as, um, you know, their motivations and, and things of that nature. So um, of all of the new perspectives, I loved Carl's the most. Um, and I think it really benefited in the telling of the story to have that pers- first person viewpoint from Carl's view. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it worked really nicely to have his, he only had a few chapters, I guess, but his chapters were great. Mm-hmm. And they were a lot better to have those chapters than to have him just explain those parts of his past and where he came from and all that stuff in a conversation right. with April or Maya or whoever. Right. I think that was a great way to do that. And I think similar to the first book, um, it was nice to have the first person perspective when these characters were making terrible choices. Mm-hmm. I think it really helps you understand where they're coming from when they make these bad choices. Right. And understand that right. they know they're making bad choices and still doing it. In the first book, pretty much everything April did, bad choice. Uh, in this book, we had Andy kind of taken up where April left off and <laughs> <laughs> spot on. Just, you know, diving fully into Altus space. Uh, even though he shouldn't have done it. But I kind of found myself not loving the first person perspective. In this book? In this book, with all the different narrators, only because I wasn't, there wasn't a big tone shift between narrators, Mm -hmm. which I think we've talked about already, but it seemed like April, Andy, Maya, Miranda were all written with the same exact tone. There was maybe a little bit of a shift when it came to Maya. She made slightly fewer jokes than April or Andy made, and Miranda had a little bit more of a scientific way of describing things, but I wasn't getting the full experience of their personalities. Right. From their chapters, as I much see. as their personalities came out. Like you kind of got more from April or more from Maya's 
personality in chapters narrated by April. And because you get to see more about, I guess, the things that she does and the way that she acts as opposed to hearing her thoughts. And so I just, I wasn't totally sold on all these narrators. I see your point. What would you have maybe done differently? Would you have tried to give just each character a little bit more of a particular way of thinking or just some kind of descriptors that makes it more obvious as to who each narrator was would that have solved like is that what you would have done differently to kind of benefit the storytelling yeah and i'm not going to pretend like i know (laughs) what to do to to give each character more of a distinctive voice because i would never consider myself to be a better author than hank green i'm not an author at all but I think there are ways, and I've read books by other uh, authors who write from different characters' perspectives, who like mm-hmm. each chapter is a different mm-hmm. character point of view. Right. And in some of those books, you can very clearly see different character voices come out. Right. And I think when you have all four of these characters are very well-rounded characters and interesting uh, in the story, but... I, I just think that they could maybe be developed a little bit more in the in their voice. Right. So that they're distinct from one another as they're telling the story. They all kind of tell the story the exact same way. Right. I think it didn't help that for, for that point that you're making. I think it didn't help that many of the chapters, even though they're written by different authors, um, as you would flow from one chapter to the next, the story is kind of picking up at one piece of action to the next piece of action to the next piece of action. And so you're you're following along the story, but like you've mentioned before, you might forget who is the, the narrator at that point in time. At, to the same point though, right? It does make following along with the story a lot easier. It would be a little bit more challenging if every single chapter is starting and picking up at a completely different point in time, at a completely different location, which does happen occasionally in this book. Um, But I think primarily we're seeing just the continuation of the story um, just from a different person's perspective. And so maybe that doesn't help with the, the, the point that you're bringing up. Yeah, but that's just my one minor complaint. Other than that, I thoroughly enjoyed both of these books, and I thought they were very well written. Yeah. My complaint about character voice is in no means taking away from the fact that these books were well written. Talked many times about how easy it is to read them, how much we want to get back and continue reading after each of these episodes we record. We're immediately trying to get back and reading more chapters. So, I mean, great books, very well written. If I were to give just one critique, that's, that's what it would be. Yeah, I like that. Do you have any critiques for the book? Mm, I think maybe I would have liked just a little bit more of a discussion about Carl's brother. Yeah. Um, Most particularly at the end of the book, but um, just in general, um, a little bit more description about about them, their motives, and what are they doing now, and what, you know? Um, that's just, I don't know if that's just me just kind of out of curiosity um, wanting that. You know, I, I know you can't explain everything at the end of the book. You always got to leave a little bit of that um, food for thought, right? And um, a little bit of an openness um, in the storytelling. Um, but I maybe would have liked a little bit more detail um, about Carl's brother um, as he became a more prominent character. Um, other than that, though, I mean, I'll also say, like you said, I thoroughly enjoyed the entire series um, for a variety of reasons that, that we've already mentioned. Um, so that would maybe be my ones, one small critique. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can talk about Carl's brother now. Sure. What was, what, uh, what, uh, what was his deal? So what I understood as Carl's brother's purpose was if it seemed like humanity was going to wipe themselves out, Hardy's would step in and, uh, basically take the reins for humanity, usher them towards some future in which Hardee's is in control of everything that happens for humanity. Right. And I think in doing so, he would probably eliminate a lot of the suffering from the world. But also eliminate a lot of the free will associated with, that, with humankind. Yeah. So do you think that it's it's very easy to have a negative reaction to some robot alien coming in and taking away your free will? But, but isn't is that it, happening to some extent now anyway? Yeah. So is that, uh, with, ooh, is that the only with, reason why Hardy's has gone dormant? 
dormant is because he's like, well, I guess these people are letting their free will get taken away anyway. It'll catch up. <laughs> it's a patient motherfucker. <laughs> he's like, yeah, the technologies, it'll get back to it. They can't, they can't make it too long without yeah. it. Yeah. Do you think, though, that if parties were to take over and continue, do you think that they're something absolutely wrong with a more powerful and all-knowing entity uh, providing a future in which people can live more peaceful lives, people can live without suffering, without hardship in exchange for their freedom? Do I think that that is a problem? I, what was what your... do you, I don't know what my question was, but what do you think? Like, if, if that were to happen... What are, what are your thoughts on that happening? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily like the idea of removing away people's freedoms in a society. You do have to exchange some amount of freedom for you know some amount of safety. Um, that's true. Um, but so, what if you exchange all freedom, for right? All safety for, for all say yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> I think it would be a very tough argument to make to say that is a good thing, right? Because we at least operate like we have free will, you know, regardless of whether you think free will exists or not. We all feel like we have free will or mo I would say, I don't know about everybody. I certainly feel like I have free will. And I would think that most people at least feel that way. And you don't want to feel as if you don't. Even if you're, <laughs> even if you felt as if you had free will, but you knew that you 100% didn't, I feel like it's hard to make an argument that that's a good thing, you know? Yeah. What, I mean, what do you think? I don't know. I think it's a very complicated issue. Right. And it doesn't seem like a good thing. But then also when you say that it would create a world with zero suffering, mm -hmm. which is something that humanity on its own is unable to achieve, it's also hard to say that that would be a bad thing. So I don't know. I'm very conflicted on this this issue. Yeah. Which I, I don't know if issue is the right word because it's just a hypothetical situation that uh, will never come to be, hopefully. But it's, it's interesting. And I really like that in this book, the big antagonist or one of the big antagonists was brought up these interesting philosophical ideas for us to think about and chat about. Yeah. It's a lot more interesting than just having a sci-fi book where there's a objectively bad mm -hmm. being coming to right. take over the world and enslave humanity for it's their own benefit. It's a lot more of a gray area in a lot of these scenarios brought up in this book. Uh, and of course, you know, we rally behind our friends and characters in this book. But you're right. There's a lot more um, gray area that brings to mind lots of things to consider. Very thought provoking. Yeah, extremely thought provoking, um, which is all you can ask for in a book. Aside from funny little goofs and interesting characters, which this book also had. Did you, Travis, have a favorite character? Carl, 100%. Why is that? Absolutely, Carl. Elaborate. Carl's hilarious. <laughs> you don't remember? I one remember. Knock for two, two knocks for or what? Yeah, one, <laughs> one knock for Sorry. two, <laughs> two knocks for one. <laughs> the matcha cocktails kicking in. One, one knock for yes, yes. Two knocks for no. Do you understand me? <laughs> so funny. Um, yeah, just. There was a lot of unique perspective brought by Carl. Um, the I, I forget the the exact way that they were originally described, but the planet spanning consciousness, right? Neither an alien nor a robot, but kind of something that was made elsewhere, but put together here. Um, you know, they had mentioned that they didn't know where they came from, but they did know their purpose, right? And it was kind of opposite of humans um, where, you know, we kind of know where we came from, but we don't know our purpose at all. Right. And so I there's just so many interesting questions that were brought about with Carl, um, how much they were able to influence the story, um, how they kind of got a little bit of I don't want to say attachment, but they got they weren't expecting to have, I guess, emotions and um, um, feelings towards humans. But that definitely ended up happening as they interacted with, you know, April and even Maya more and more and more. Right. You could tell that there was a lot of uh, like a caring friendship, almost, so to speak, um, between them. 
Uh, and so just seeing that develop in this kind of non-human character was, yeah, just really enjoyable. Brought brought up lots of questions, um, which we've we've talked about here before. But, you know, for all of those reasons, Carl was a really dynamic character for me. And I really liked um, any time Carl had a piece in the story. Specifically, I always loved those chapters where Carl was talking. Yeah. And when he was a monkey, just yelling around. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a favorite character? I think my favorite character is probably April. Is that lame to choose the main character as your favorite character? No, it's not lame. Um, I just think she went on a fantastically interesting journey and developed so much as a character. Throughout the first book, she had a great character arc. And then through this book, she had a similar but entirely different character arc of coming to terms with what she had become, no longer being human, and then figuring out what that means, what it, what can she do now that she's no longer human, learning to um, make an impact on the world, not for her own personal benefit, but for the benefit of humanity as a whole, learning to think about other people for once in her gosh darn life. Yeah. <laughs> and I will give uh, some runner-up favorite character to Maya. I thought that's who you were going to originally yeah. <laughs> say who was your favorite character. She was yeah. the best person yeah. in the book by right. far. It's just an incredible. Doesn't always necessarily make the best character. No. So you so, got to you got to have some yeah. you got to have some some problems. Some, <laughs> struggles some right. issues some yeah. challenges to overcome and maya was just lovely and delightful and insightful the whole time and i really enjoyed april's character arc I, it was fantastic just from a looking only at the character ignoring the plot i think it was a fantastic character arc and how closely it paralleled the arc of the overall story was really interesting and i thoroughly enjoyed it and then at the very end the last line of the book oh a beautiful way to end it uh by, i don't know if i remember the last line at all well that's okay i'll read it to you as april and maya are hanging out together uh maybe they're laying in bed together probably oh so this yeah they're laying in bed together and this is when uh april's alien parts start to oh. kind of disappear and she's Right. Well, going back to just having her human body, the last wow. line, April says, somehow she made me feel human. And that is, I've learned, one of the very best things to be, which is a beautiful last line of the book, completing the character arc from the very first paragraph of book one. Right. In which April she tells, tells us, I was human, or at least I used to be. Yep. And now she's able to feel human once again, mm-hmm. um, because Maya's there and Maya's the best. But I, <laughs> I, that's one of the that's one of the best last lines of a book I've read in a while. That's, that's really poetic, good. and I don't think I put together all those pieces when I w- when I was reading it. I was probably hyper focused on Carl. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really there good. There are other characters. <laughs> what do you mean? There's other characters? No, that's really good. I actually really like that that you brought that up, and that is a really poetic way of describing that kind of transformation from human to non-human to back to human again in those last few pages that's that's really cool i like that you brought that up yeah i like thanks for sharing hank green brought that up because he wrote thanks for reminding me (laughs) thanks for writing a great story hank i love a book that ends with a beautiful line like that Mm -hmm. doesn't happen very often it's very hard to have such an ins—I uh, don't know if insightful story. I don't even know what the right word is to describe that line. But a, a single sentence that encapsulates so many aspects of the story mm-hmm. to finish out the book is very hard to do, I imagine. And I think he nailed it with this. And uh, it was such a such a pleasant endeavor we just went on reading these books. On that note, should we try and get a last line of this podcast episode <gasps> to wrap up this? series that would be all-encompassing of of what we thought about the seek of the of the series as a whole oh man that's that's too much pressure for me that's which a is lot why of pressure. i'm asking you but that's a Jamie. great it's a great idea but it's a lot of pressure uh okay well let's let's list a few things that we think encapsulate this story as a whole and then we can try to put them into one sentence as we bring this podcast to a close perfect what are some of the aspects of the story that you think we need to touch on the the the, the, the series yes um well 
you know, just to pick up with where you left off, right? We're, we're thinking about, you know, what it means to be a human and live the human experience and what makes humanity beautiful, what makes humanity this foolish. Be- yeah, it, absolutely. Right. And those aspects of, of um, human collaboration, right? And all those things to consider. Um, we've got to touch right on the Carl's and Carl's brother, right? To some extent, right? This kind of fight stereotypically between good and evil, so to speak. Um, we've got to touch a little bit on um, our gang of friends that we've come to know and love, right? Everybody brings their own strength and weakness to this kind of... Um, development of learning who the Carls are, why they're here, um, how Carl's big brother, right, is 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 fighting this fight against them. Um yeah, those are a few things that initially oh come to my mind. A few it's, things. Yeah. We gotta come up with one sentence to put together all those things. Yeah, you're coming up with a sentence. I'm coming <laughs> up with a sentence. Oh my God. Okay. Well pressure's on. What do you I guess before we do that, what what are some other big key kind of things to consider when you're thinking about the story as a whole i'm thinking subway has the best sandwiches <laughs> and stomp is the best musical and i will never eat grape jelly ever again there we go i think those are the three main things to how take do, away right, how from. do we how do we tie all that up um let me let me think for a second and see if i can come up with a perfect concluding sentence so while i do that do you want to do the outro for the podcast sure and then i'll end it with the perfect sentence Beautiful. Uh, Thank you all for joining and thank you all for listening to our podcast series um, on both of Hank Green's books specifically. Um, We've just now finished A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor. We hope you have enjoyed the series and we hope you've been reading along with us. Please, as always, right, um, send us an email, find us on all the socials, um, let us know what you think about the book. If you have a suggestion for future books to read, please reach out to us. Um, we will be shortly releasing a um, announcement for what the next book will be. Um, but after that, right, we are completely open to suggestions. We don't have anything else in the queue. Uh, so definitely um, let us know what you're thinking about the podcast in general. One piece of feedback that we got is that our outros take too long. So with that, we're going to wrap it up right here. That was it? You're done? <laughs> no, I'm waiting on you to get your last sentence in. Here it is, the final sentence of the podcast episode. Uh, once again, great books. Thanks, Hank Green. Spit it Wonderful. out. <laughs> Humanity is strongest together, and helping those you care about become stronger is what makes life worth living. You gonna say anything, or you're just gonna I fucking look at me? I thought that was just gonna be the end of the podcast. <laughs> you were looking at me for so long. Oh, I didn't know if you wanted to keep talking. That was great. No, I like that. I was expecting you to make some like I don't know dumb food joke. That was good. That was poetic. Oh, I'm sorry to make a dumb food joke. That was good. I like that. Go read a book. You should write a blurb. You know, for books. Oh, book blurb? Yeah. I you know, little, like the little I be a things. Blurb boy. The little things that are kind of you know on the cover that don't really tell you anything about the story oh you mean like i knew hank would be good at this but i didn't know he would be this good on his first try is that what's written on the back of this book (laughs) yeah like something like that that doesn't really tell you much about the story but maybe yeah about you gives you a vibe exactly get you excited yeah i think that was pretty good for 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 our interpretations of of the series that was good thank you uh unfortunately that wasn't the last sentence of the podcast because we've been talking now for another two minutes but that's fine okay go read a book go read a book read responsibly